0: We're beginning Genesis chapter 2. So here we are at the top of Genesis chapter 2. And let's look for the design. This is don't defy the design. And the design is from the Lord. It's from God himself. Don't defy the design. He's the one who created, but he's also the one who put all the intricacies and the organization in the creation. And right now, this world's, is preaching to you. Those who do not believe in Jesus want you to defy the design that is ever apparent right in front of your eyes. They're teaching you to go against what is actually good and right and has been established by the Lord. So it's our job to notice the design and then submit ourselves to the design because it's from God himself and his love for us is indeed great. Each one of the points today, we'll start with that, don't defy the design, and then we'll talk about an area of design that we can apply to our lives. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth, and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God works, he doesn't just sit around, he's not lazy. This is before sin, this is before the fall, and we see God Almighty working, laboring. Sometimes we think, well, in heaven, we're going to do nothing. I wouldn't like a heaven like that. There's a lot of good that comes from labor. In fact, the word says, in all labor, there is profit. So seeing our example, our ultimate example, God himself working. Now, it wasn't hard for him. It wasn't difficult for him. But later on, we'll see that even before the fall, that Adam was given the task of tending the garden. So he was working in the garden of Eden even before he sinned. Now, sin has made work more difficult. We'll learn about that. But work is not evil. That's something that our society is telling us. Stay away from work at all costs. The more you rest, the better. That's not the model that we see here in the word of God. It teaches us about rest, and it teaches us about labor. That's a lot of work that went on in those first six days. Making the heavens and the earth, separating the light from the darkness, the land and the valleys and the seas. Consider all that God did. He made the the birds, the sea creatures, the beasts of the field. He he creates the stars, the sun, the moon. Phew, he's tired. No, that's not what it says. It's not as though the Lord needed to rest on the seventh day. It says that he did rest. He is the Almighty. We say that he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So why did the Lord rest? And our our first topic, topic for application is don't defy the design of rest. It says here that the Lord sanctified the day. That means to take it and to set it apart for a purpose. We're sanctified as children of God. That means God took us, separated us for a special purpose. What else does it say in the first couple of verses of chapter 2? That he blessed that day because he rested from his work. Not because of his work, but from his work on that day. The Lord knows that we need intentional rest. Amen. He set the example for us. There's a lot of design, but here is the illustrated design in his creation resting on the seventh day. Now, I'm not teaching that we should necessarily start being Sabbath keepers according to the Jewish law, but we certainly should notice the design of work and rest put forward by God right here, sectioning off certain times, even certain seasons for rest. We need rejuvenation physically, emotionally, relationally. That's part of the way God built us. If we do not rest according to God's design, we don't operate well and we don't obey well. So God sets this forth for us. Jesus was baptized, wasn't he? And sometimes people say, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, Jesus was always saved. What, what Did he get there and was this symbol of him dying to self? Jesus didn't need to die to self. He's perfect. But he did it as an example for us. when he got baptized, he said, "This is fitting." So here on this seventh day also, it's fitting for God to rest, because He's telling you and me something about our work and about our lives. So what are some of the excuses, since I'm a person of excuses? These aren't reasons, these are excuses, for not resting on a weekly basis. What's your first excuse? Mine is this: I think it's weak. I'm tough rest is for sissies. I can work seven days a week and just keep on trucking. Am I talking to any of you right now? And I'm not just talking about working to make money or working to, to earn a living because there's all kinds of work that we put our minds and our hands to. Isn't that true? We have housework, we have projects, we have property work, we have financial work, book work. So it's not just running your business or working for your employer. It's, it's work, it's labor. I mean, if you Clean out your gutters and change your oil and pay your bills on your day off. Aren't you working all day long? Probably are close to it. It's it's labor, it's work. Oftentimes, I'm pointing out to you that we don't rest simply because we're prideful and we think we don't need it. God says that we do. I've been there before. It's just wrong. What's another reason? We think we know better than God. Well, God, I've I've got a lot to do right now, and I'll never get it all done if I rest. So God gives us this design, and he says in the word of God that the Sabbath isn't for God. The Sabbath's for for man, right? And we tell God, I won't get everything done. I've said before, and this is wrong, I need a 10-day week. Some civilizations tried that. It didn't work. This design all over the world in so many cultures, because it has God's imprint upon it. So sometimes we consider, I won't, I look at my schedule, I look at all the labor that I've taken on, all the stuff that I need to do. That's our mentality. I will not get it done if I rest too much. Some of you are just tired of hearing me talk about rest because you're like, I just want to get out there and work. I read this quote years ago from Nelson Searcy There is always enough time in the day for the will of God. Amen. Amen. We're telling God, wait a second, I can't get your will done. There's always enough time in the day for God's will. You and I struggle with what is God's will. And we think we need to run around and do all this stuff. Once again, labor is not evil, but we do things we don't need to do. And then say, I don't have enough time to apply God's design to my life. Don't defy God's design for rest. Another, another excuse. And this one's really, really brutal. Anyways, we're lazy. We don't work efficiently on the days when we're supposed to be working. We sometimes shift gears and get distracted and are trying to do too many things at once when in reality you can't do really more than one thing at a time. You just spend time shifting between tasks. There are so many studies out there and I pray that you just wouldn't look to those studies about efficiency, that you would just believe God and submit yourself to his design. But there are so many studies out there about efficiency that say when there is not rest and when there are too many transitions between jobs you lose time and when you lose time you lose work in education you talk about the classroom you lose time in transitions you lose time to teach in transitions. so you have to you know, between one activity and another, between one portion and another, I need smooth transitions. But when we're just like a ping pong ball, does anybody have that kind of life or am I just the only one? I'm like doing this, I'm doing that, I'm running over here. It's because I'm not really working efficiently when I'm supposed to be working. So then when I ought to be resting, I'm still working. And I look back and it's like, I apply the previous excuse, I wouldn't have time if I would stay the course and trust God See, not resting is a very deceptive disobedience, isn't it? Because it seems honorable. It seems noble to not rest to us, but it's not noble. Now, if you're already a freeloader and super lazy, this first topic isn't for you. There are definitely people in the world, and I know the community that I live in, there aren't a lot of those kind of people. But for the country at large, it's like, you know, you just look for rest all the time. In fact, you take too long of breaks when you're at work. You just your whole life's about rest. But if you're one of those people and there are plenty of you out there, it's destructive, the repercussions of not resting. So, hear and heed because God knows best. Trust and listen to his path. And I'm not saying that it's sinful to work more than 7 days a week. Sometimes in certain seasons we do that. But you know how it works. One week turns into two, turns into three. And afterwards, you have to catch up on life because you've been working for seven days a week. Soon we have a life that just disregards God's design. Will we not listen to God? I need to be more intentional about my obedience in this area. And if that's you too, just receive it. And if your life is biblically balanced, keep it up. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. That's verse 4. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens, made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So beginning in verse 4, there's a new section. There's a lot of evidence about the sections in Genesis. That's very interesting to study considering Moses' authorship. But knowing that this is a new section right here, it would have been a great chapter break, but it's not. This allows us to see some information from the creation week. What this portion of chapter two is doing is it's going back and it's zooming up on what happened during the week of creation. It's filling in the details that we need to understand the first six days. That's what's happening beginning in verse four here in chapter two. It illuminates our understanding of the creation week. Now it's not necessarily in chronological order so to speak but here we have information about day two in verses five and six. Do you see it? That's the day when God divided the waters, when he created the firmament. That was a part of last Sunday's teaching. And he put some of the water above the firmament and some of the water below, which would be on the surface of the earth. And now the word of God explains to us that it didn't rain in those days, but that a mist came up from the ground. It was a very moist environment. So this fog would come up from the ground and The earth didn't have the water cycle that we know it to have today with evaporation and clouds and rain and rivers and lakes so it also says here that there wasn't any tilling of the ground because there wasn't a man to do it in day two yet he didn't come till day six and that tells us also that when adam did end up tending the garden that it wasn't near as tough as it is now i remember when i first got a little tractor and it had a tiller on the back and i was so pumped and ready to use this thing because i had spent the previous years being drug around by a rototiller and i thought wow this is crazy so i got that little tractor and i had the tiller on the back and it it just bounced off the lumberaker rocks it didn't even go down right it was just like (sighs) the tilling was tough right the spot was was the issue needed to dig it all out and mush it all up but look at this mist comes up from the ground in God's creation here. This is pre, pre-flood. And so there was this perfect watering of the ground all the time. Right now, your property is probably really soupy. You go out there, especially the last couple days, and it's all this rain. Some, it just can't drain quickly enough. And then six months from now, you'll go outside and try to dig a hole, and it's not happening very easily, is it? So we see that the the flux and the moisture. But let's, this environment that the Lord created, wasn't sloshy and, and it wasn't rock hard. You didn't need drip irrigation. You didn't need sprinklers. No painting the trunks of your fruit trees to protect them from the sun. No smudge pot to put out with my orange trees to keep them from freezing. Just this mist that comes up from the ground and waters. That's what the Lord is explaining to us here in His Word. Great moisture balance. So he's given us more information on day two here in verses five and six. And the Lord God formed man, so now we're going back to day what? Six of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Don't defy the design of being crafted by God. That's number two. Do you see it here? That we were made in the image of God. Let us create man in our own likeness, in our own image, in our likeness, we learned. Now we see that God actually made Adam with his hands. He didn't necessar- he didn't speak him into existence the way he did much of the rest of the creation. And he did the same thing with Eve, because he took Eve from the side of the material from the side of Adam and then formed her. He crafted Adam and Eve with his hands. So this is a a very Hebraic way of recounting a story, an uh, an account. So we're used to telling the story and giving the details as you go. But many times in, in Hebrew culture, they would Summarize the story and then go back and fill in the details. Even some of the parables are, are told that way. You'll see Jesus and he'll boom, 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 hit the highlights and then he'll go back and he'll fill the details in. So here we have the fill in of the creation of man. God sculpted Adam's body out of earth, he formed it with his hands. And then, just like CPR, at least that's what I picture, he breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of this imprint of eternity, and he gave him a soul. If you have an old King James Bible, it says man became a living soul is the word that's used there. Look at the imprint. Look at the craftsmanship of God, the creativity of God informing Adam. And if you didn't get to hear Thursday's study, it's pretty short. It's just about the imprint of God on us, I recommend you go back and listen to that to to fill in a little on being made in the image of God. But here the point is, God made your physical frame. He, He fashioned you, and you say, well, this is about Adam, and later on it'll be about Eve. I'm just the leftovers. No, the psalmist tells us that God knitted you together, inside of your mother's womb, that he, his fingers crafted you and put you together in all of your intricacies inside of your mother. Even before you could breathe the air out here in the atmosphere, the Lord was creating you in his image, fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, we live in a culture that says the way you were made is not good enough it's all around us. How you look, your physical frame, your features, your, your beauty or lack thereof, how handsome you are, it's not good enough. Do you see the extremes? And then we have people that are like, I'm going to backlash against this. And even though I don't like the way I, I look, I'm just going to let it all hang out. So we've got the let it all hang out people, for lack of a better term. And you're like, "Whoa, oh, man, maybe you ought to take care of yourself, right? And then we got the people that, I mean, they're getting injections and butt lifts and you name it, right? They're just like, I'm not happy with, that's a scientific term, it's buttocks, right? That's what it is. And they're like, we're piecing ourselves together. We're trying to fix our faces. And it's just like this endless thing that we've gotta look like Brad Pitt and Cindy Crawford. You can tell how old I am by the people (laughs) I used. I mean, but you know who they are probably. They're still alive anyways. This is what your godless society, this godless society is telling you. Don't defy the design that you were crafted by God. And I sometimes hear people say, well, you know, Adam, he was just gorgeous. You just know he was. And Adam, she just, she's supermodel. Eve, supermodel for sure, right? That, that's not the point. The point is that we are crafted by God in grace, in love. And in this sixth day. Look at Genesis 131. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. That adjective was not there on the other days when he said it was good. But he made people. He made his children. He made you and me. And then he said, it is very good. So maybe you're not struggling with that. Maybe you are. That's who God made You to be. We can't fathom how good that is. Believe the Word of God when he says this. Don't defy the design of being crafted by God. We're at verse 8 now. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden just things that stick out to me as I re-study this and reread this. God planted the Garden of Eden himself. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And he puts Adam in the garden. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree... Of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon; it is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold that land and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third river is Hitakel, and that's, that's the Tigris, it's another name for the Tigris River, it is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria, the fourth river is the Euphrates, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it, what a wonderful place to live, in this God-planted, God-designed garden. Adam was not thinking, maybe I should move out of state. <laughs> maybe it's better some other place. His environment was amazing. We learn about these rivers. One river and then breaking into to four sections. We read about the vegetation, the trees, that it's pleasing that it's good clean rivers we're used to really amazing rivers a good friend of mine moved to ohio years ago and one of the first things he told me is the rivers here are terrible i went to the river and it was like a it was mucky right and so we're kind of used but these rivers would make our rivers look like trash just beautiful no corruption perfect no deterioration no pollution beautiful environment look at consider the trees You see a grove of trees even now in our fallen world and just the majesty and the color. Can you imagine the taste of the fruit? Just consider what it's like to eat a piece of fruit off of the vine or off of the tree compared to the cardboard that you get in the store. How much better was this fruit bearing all kinds of food that was good for Adam to eat? Now Adam does some tending but he's got that auto-mist watering system. The soil was pretty soft. I don't know all the labor that he did. People like to speculate about that. There's a leaf out of place over there. I'm going to move it. Not really clear, but he did tend the garden. And you say, well, this this whole thing, that that sounds nice, but this is the environment that you and I have to look forward to. We're not even talking about the Lord God yet, who is the most amazing of all the things. But this, in all of its perfection, lack of corruption, lack of sin, lack of deterioration, if you stand in Christ Jesus, if he's your king, this this is heaven. This is gonna be now fellowship with God. Third point is don't defy the design of fellowship with God because as amazing as this environment would have been with the trees and the rivers and the fruits, Think about the conversations. Who was Adam having those conversations with? Think about the wisdom, about the worship, about the relationship that Adam had with God himself in the garden. Adam and Eve were used to having the Lord come and walk and speak with them in the evenings. Did you ever go out after... After dinner and just take a walk, it, God would be right there with them. Consider the fellowship. Don't defy that design. You were built to fellowship with God. You're we also built for fellowship with each other. That friendship, that relational element, you weren't built to do without it. Just like some of us think we were built to work seven days a week, we're wrong. And some of us think we were built to just be by ourselves. Hermitize yourself on the side of the hill. But you weren't built for that. You were built for relationship, for fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ and most of all, with the Lord. This is God's design in the beginning when he said it was good, when he said it was very good. People, us, his children, communing with him. When I don't have communion with God, it's not right. When you don't have fellowship with the Lord, even though you have access as a Christian, you know something's amiss. Do you know what's missing? You're not using your friendship with the Lord. We wanna use that friendship all the time and walk with him and be near to him. But is this not the original design of God? Fellowship with him. Jesus prayed this way in John 17:3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, which you have sent. Eternal life is fellowship with God. It is knowing God. It's knowing Jesus. And right now, our fellowship with God is a shadow of what is to come. We have fellowship, but sin has severed that, and we don't get to see him and be as near to him as one day we will be. But there is fellowship with God Almighty, On this side of heaven, that is sweet. That is his design. Don't think that what you're missing is a more beautiful body. Don't think that what you're missing is a more intellectual mind. Don't think that what you're missing is more material goods. Is it possible that what you're missing is fellowship with your creator? That's intentional. Just like the rest is intentional. The fellowship with the Lord. Don't defy that. One more point as we continue. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Don't defy the design of God of God's love that limits. By design, God limits us because he loves us. God told Adam, don't eat from that tree. If you do, you'll die. And it literally means you'll begin to die. People say, well, he didn't die that that very day. The meaning there is death will begin for you. All of us are dying right now. Before Adam sinned, he wasn't dying. Sin brings forth death. And God sought to place this limit on Adam and Eve because he just couldn't stand to see them have fun eating that fruit. Because he just wanted to mess up their lives And keep them from the greatest joy they could ever experience. He limited them because they knew better than him. He didn't know what was going on. No, he limited them because he loved them. He limits us because he loves us. That is his design. It was to protect them. Look at the record of God's love even to this point in his word in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He just rained down blessing after blessing after blessing. And now we get to the first restriction here in the middle of chapter 2. Get it out of your head that limits are always to control, that rules are always to manipulate or to dominate. No, limits can really be a reflection of love. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, or a coach, or a boss, you know that, that limits can be a reflection of love to protect when you know something that the person you're leading might not realize. So let's get it right in our minds from the beginning. When you see limits, think the Lord loves me. That's the first thing to think. God put these limits. He gave us his good law. He told us what sin is, because he loves us not because he's trying to cramp our style or control us or manipulate us he gave us free will i look at this tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil and if adam were to eat of it he would experience the knowledge of good and evil up to this point he knew it theoretically but he would actually experience what it was like to be mired in evil. And by making this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God gave Adam a choice between wickedness and righteousness. He limits him because he loves him. Now, did you notice that God said, you have all of this good open to you. But if, If you eat of this tree, it'll destroy you. I've heard it said by skeptics, oh, Christians can't do this and they can't do that. It's just a bunch of don'ts. Well, that perspective lacks vision and it lacks thankfulness and it's blind to God's blessings. That perspective is to not see all that God has given us. That's the fallen perspective that gets focused on the few things that we are forbidden to do instead of seeing all that the Lord has provided to us. And that was the picture here in the garden. Look at all I've blessed you with, all around you in this universe. Now that I've crafted you with my own hands and breathed into you my own breath, will you lift up your head and see the love that I have given to you? There's all this freedom from God. Did you notice the phrases? Of every tree and freely eat. There is freedom there. Now, There are actions and intentions and thoughts that are against God's design only in certain contexts. So how about drugs, sex, and rock and roll? You might say bad, bad, bad right away, but think about it. Drugs and their use. Is there a time and is there a place For drugs to be administered if a person is very sick or even dying for their their restoration or even for their comfort? Yes, there is. Part of God's creation to use but not abuse. Drugs, sex, and rock and roll. How about the sex? People say, "Oh, oh, no. God created sex in the context of marriage. He's the one that made it And it is pure and very good to him in the right place, in the right time, with the right person. So we see all all these no, no, no. No, God says, I know the right timing. I know the right place. I know the right person. And and you want to abuse these things that I've blessed you with. How about rock and roll? Now, people have taken music, which God created for his glory, and they've said, I'm going to use it and twist it and apply lyrics to it and even an attitude to it that is godless. But God's the one that made the music for his glorification. You might not like all of it, but it's not inherently evil. And I praise God for that. So there are some things, there are some actions, intentions of the heart that we got to think about. They're they're right in some contexts, and in other contexts, they are wrong. The garden is full of great stuff. God made it, partake of it within his parameters and you will be pleasing to him. Or will we be so foolish to say, ah, God, it's gotta be my way, my timing, in the circumstances of my choosing. Maybe you're struggling with something like this today. We're like, Lord, uh, this is what I desire. This is what I want. And you're not able to see the big picture of God's timing and God's way and his usefulness instead of the abuse. Don't disregard the limits that the Lord has set. But look at this tree. It was forbidden in all contexts, in all situations. There are things like this. And God says, that will never be okay. Stay away from it all the time. It leads to death. It will kill you. And what do we often do when we're struggling with something like this? We get fixated on the one thing that is our greatest temptation that we know we just can't do. And that is to be deceived. Trust God and his love for you because he places those limits there because he cares for you because he's the creator and the designer. And if you're saved, he's your redeemer. And he said, that's off limits because I love you. So it might be no, never. It might be a wait or wait longer. Either way, In your heart, realize that it's because he sees down the road. Ask God for the wisdom to see that there is destruction in certain sin. Now, it's really not that complicated when you look at what the Lord has defined as displeasing to him, that which is sin, that which is to transgress against him, to to follow it out and see that is why this is destructive. That is why the Lord can give us those eyes to see down the road why that forbidden tree is forbidden. Now, in this case, God did not tell Adam why the tree was forbidden necessarily. He told him, you'll surely die. He told him the consequences of it, but he he doesn't really see the earthly repercussions in the way that we can see with certain things that are forbidden to us by God. Ask God to give you the eyes to see down the road and say, even though I'm feeling like this, and even though I'm struggling, your love is shining through We love him because he first loved us. Take him at his word. Trust him that in two years or 10 years, you're gonna see that a lot differently. If you're older, you know that's true. If you've walked with the Lord, you look back on some of your decisions, some of them that you made and some of them that you denied, and you say, boy, I can really see how God was protecting me by telling me no, and I wish I would have listened to him. Or you look back and you say, I was struggling, and I'm so thankful that I listened to him. I didn't understand at the time fully, but now I do see. Probably all of you can have that kind of reflection. Trust the Lord. Take him at his word because he cares for you. As believers, we've given our lives to the Lord of the heavens and the earth. We've said, I belong to you. And this struggle with temptation, we all have it. But... Accomplishing that victory cannot happen unless you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. He's the one that gives you the strength, gives you the wisdom, gives you the practical knowledge. He's the one who anchors you in the word. So when you're when you're struggling, Eve never should have been hanging out by the tree. We'll get to her, God willing, later on. Why are you even hanging around the tree? Right? There's she's making provision for the flesh. She tells Satan, we're not even supposed to touch it. Well, God didn't actually say that. He said, don't eat of it. She's adding a little bit there when she says that don't touch it, but don't even come close to it. If you're trying to live your life in your own strength, please know that only through the Spirit can you have victory. Victory for this life and only in the Spirit can you see the everlasting. Submit to his design in every single way the design of his deliverance through the cross, the design of his craftsmanship of your physical frame, the design that he has given you love that limits you to protect you, and testify to each other of these truths in your life. We praise your name for how you protect us, Lord. And even though at times we're disgruntled, we know that that's wrong. That's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong heart. Lord, we stand here before you open, just laid bare. Whatever you want to do in our lives, we're ready. Whatever we need to, to give over to your way, to your order, to your design, that's what we want. We, we do pray for your timing in our lives because you make all things beautiful in your time. We, we do pray for the eyes to see that that our way of thinking is often errant. We, we pray, Lord, for the fellowship as we go from this place where we have a chance to see each other and remind each other, but we, we so desire to walk near to your heart all week long. You've given us this, this first day of the week, this good day, and, and may we walk with you more steadily in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.